I'm Jenny Lewis. And I'm Alexa Adams-Robertson. And we're with the Lexington Public Library, and we're here today bringing you the very first installment of One Book, One Podcast. Today's episode, How It Began. This podcast is part of our One Book, One Lexington community reading project for the month of April. This year's selection is How It Went Down by Kekla Magoon. How It Went Down is a Coretta Scott King honor book, and Kekla Magoon is the Coretta Scott King John Steptoe New Talent Award-winning author of several books, including The Rock and the River, as well as 37 Things I Love, Shadows of Sherwood, and X, a novel. And she currently teaches writing at Vermont College of Fine Arts. Um, How It Went Down is the story of a shooting that takes place uh, in a community called Underhill, um, the facts vary throughout the book, as we'll get into, um, but there is the book starts with one piece of evidence um, that is sort of not disputed, and Alexa's going to read that for us. The incident. The known facts surrounding the shooting death of 16-year-old Tariq Johnson are few. On the evening of June 2nd at approximately 5.30 p.m., Johnson sustained two 9mm gunshot wounds to the torso. Police officers arrived at 5.37 p.m., Johnson was pronounced dead at 6.02 p.m. by EMTs at the scene. Police apprehended a person of interest, Jack Franklin, who was present when Johnson was shot but left the scene in a borrowed vehicle shortly afterward. Franklin was pulled over nearly four miles away from the site of the shooting at 5.56 p.m. A 9mm handgun, recently fired, was found in the backseat. And Alexa, that's such a heavy way to start a book. What was your reaction when you read that? Um, well, I mean, the first thing I thought was that I can't believe how close to reality um, something that crazy sounding hues. I mean, that is heavy. It's almost unbelievable. And yet, I mean, things like this are happening all over the country um, at any given time. I mean, Absolutely. It felt a little... Um, Ripped from the headlines, for yeah. lack of a better word, it felt a little too surreal in terms of what we're we're used to hearing on the news uh, every day. Um, and I want to go ahead and jump into uh, the book itself. It follows um, the seven days after the shooting, and the book is a little bit confusing when you first jump into it because each chapter is a, has a different narrator, and the characters repeat throughout the book. Um, so you get to know them fairly well, but but at first it takes a little bit of kind of paying attention to who's talking. And the first person mm-hmm. we hear from is uh, Jenica, is her name, um, and she's uh, apparently just witnessed the shooting and is performing CPR mm-hmm. on Tariq. And I have to say, like, Jenica immediately kind of just grabs your heart. And she does. You just can't. You can't imagine being in that position. We find out pretty soon after that Jenica's really young. She's a teenager herself. Mm -hmm. And um, to just jump in like that. I have to say she was probably, um, whenever we've got done reading this first bit to go over in the podcast, um, I wrote down kind of my first impressions of all the characters and who really jumped out as me as my favorite. And Jenica was one of my top three. Just really gripped me with her narrative and the way that she kind of narrates her each of her sections. She's my favorite by far. Yeah. Um, and it's funny that you mentioned first impressions because the next chapter we get to, I think, is Noodle, her boyfriend, mm-hmm. who she's with at the time. Yes. I have never wanted to reach through the pages of a book and punch a character <laughs> I, as quickly as I want yes. to hit Noodle. And my notes are, he's so shallow because his yes. first reaction is that Tariq has ruined his day. This kid I know. has just been shot dead in front of him and his first instinct is, 
well, he's ruined my day because now my girlfriend's upset. Yeah. And, you know, leave it to him to try to be the center of attention. Right. Which is just so shallow and so cruel. I know. I think a little bit further down, um, a couple chapters later, he does it does sort of hit him what has happened, and he says, you mm-hmm. know, it's not like I wish him dead. Right. But, um, but still, my first reaction to Noodle was... You are way, you, you are terrible. I know. You're a terrible person, and Jenica is way too good for you. I know. I'm waiting for the explanation of the name Noodle. Um, I think it's he's really <laughs> tall and skinny. Maybe, Isn't yeah. Isn't that what they at some point allude to? That oh, that might really, be it, He's yeah. really kind of gangly, yes. so they, they give him the nickname <laughs> Noodle. Makes him a little hard to take seriously, especially when you just disagree so strongly yes. with, his, with his feelings. <laughs> no, one of the things that really jumps out in the first couple chapters um, is whether or not Tariq was armed. And we hear from someone named Brick, again, Mm -hmm. I'm assuming because he's built like a brick, um, who says that Tariq had a gun. He's adamant that Tariq was armed. But then later on, we have other characters say that Tariq was not armed, that the shooter, Jack Franklin, hops out of the car and pretty much immediately shoots Tariq. Um, with little to no altercation between the two of them, there, we should mention there is a there is kind of a scuffle going on on the sidewalk, mm-hmm. um, and Jack Franklin hops out of his car. It's not clear if he's trying to break up the fight, or if he just sees the fight and thinks someone needs help. But pretty early on, it, it introduces the question of is Tariq armed or not, mm-hmm. and they they do mention that there is not a weapon found at the scene on or near Tariq. Right. Um, I think that it's really interesting. Um, one of the one of the things that I like most about how Kekla Magoon kind of comes at this story is everyone's differing perspectives of what they actually saw. And I mean, I think one of the really, the most interesting characters for me is Brian Trellis so far. Yeah. Um, because all of the African-American characters describe him as light-skinned, but Tom Arlen, um, one of the other white witnesses, describes him as a white man. I thought that was really interesting as well. So interesting. Um, I really like that aspect of it. I also think it's interesting that Brian Trellis changes his mind um, as to whether or not Tariq was armed. Um, in his one of his first chapters, um, on page 12, actually, it says, I'm looking at his hand, looking for that deadly glint of metal, but there isn't anything. And then out of nowhere, the kid is falling. Um, and then later on in one of his chapters, he says, of course he had a gun. There's no doubt in his mind that he had it. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting, too. Um, you know, Rocky, the store owner, so mm-hmm. Tariq is leaving a convenience store, um, and he, as he crosses in front of a hardware store, there's some sort of altercation between um, Tariq and um, some people in front of the hardware store, and then that's when Jack Franklin hops out. Um, but Rocky mentions early on that he had sold a Snickers bar to Tariq, mm-hmm. and a couple other people mentioned that it was a, a Snickers bar popping out of his pocket um, that he mistook for a gun. So, uh, yeah, that, that factors in really, really early on. Um, and Sammy, um, who also is a witness, also says mm-hmm. that he didn't have a gun. Right. Um, and Sammy does acknowledge that he himself has a knife. Right. Um, so Sammy was armed. Sammy was armed. <laughs> Definitely. Yes. Um, uh, but Tariq we still don't armed. know about Tariq. Right. Um, I also think that it's really interesting that Tariq's own grandmother, a- another of the big questions, um, aside from was Tariq armed at the time, is was he wearing gang colors or right. was he gang affiliated? And Tariq's own grandmother does acknowledge that he left the house wearing gang colors for the 8-6 Kings that day. Yes. Now, she does say that he had, it was a, it was a, a red bandana. claw, yeah. the bandana that he was using for dusting. Right. And that she had given him that because when the 8-5 Kings took over and they had um, red as their color, right. that they gathered up all of the red cloth the family had in the home and mm-hmm. kind of kept it 
just for in the house for cleaning purposes. Right. Um, and Tariq had it on him and he was dusting and he ran out of the house. Mm-hmm. So whether whether that was on purpose, yeah. um, he was he was sporting gang colors on purpose. Brick seems to think he was in a gang. Sammy seems to think that he was possibly in the, in the gang, but um, some of his friends later on dispute that heavily. It's mm-hmm. like he was he was holding them off and trying to stay out of the gang. Uh, but yeah, you're right. His grandmother does say that he does in fact have on gang colors. Right. Uh, who are some of the other characters who really hit you hard early on? Tyrell hit me. Tyrell. Tyrell is Tariq's uh, best friend, mm-hmm. and he's first introduced as somebody who's waiting for Tariq. He he hears that there's been a shooting on the street. He wants to know what's going on. He's texting Tariq. He doesn't hear back, mm-hmm. and he's really angry at him. And then the next morning, he's making breakfast, and he goes to eat it in front of the um, the TV. He's watching the news. Sits down to eat his bowl of cereal, mm-hmm. and the chapter ends with them getting ready to show a picture of the victim, and you know that he's going to see Tariq. And that, I mean, I think mm-hmm. Tyrell, for me, like, heartbreak is oh. just the word that pops into my head every time I talk about him. That's why I was just, Tyrell broke my heart um, whenever he's talking about how he and Tariq always walk to school together, and it's too scary to walk to school mm-hmm. alone because you just constantly are getting badgered by all of these gang kids trying to recruit you, trying to, like, kind of beat up on you a little bit. I mean... It's, it really, that Tyrell really got to me. He's, yeah. he's such a sweetie. <laughs> Tyrell, absolutely. And yeah. has apparently, uh, as we learn later on, kind of a rocky relationship with his parents. Right. Um, and so Tariq was really kind of his safety net. Mm-hmm. Um, another character I found really interesting was Will. Mm-hmm. Who, and I'm going to probably butcher this, but he also goes by the name, is it EMZ or MZ? I pronounced it MZ. No MZ. clue if that is correct or not. The capitalization is a little sporadic. Yeah. So <laughs> Will is this kid. I'm going to call him Will because that, yeah. that's what I for sure know his name, his, uh, his legal name is. Mm-hmm. He's this kid who apparently used to live in the same neighborhood with Tariq. Mm-hmm. His mother has remarried um, a man named Steve who has moved them out to the suburbs. But Will secretly at night um, slips back to the old neighborhood and he's a graffiti artist and he tags uh, and does artwork all around the neighborhood. And so he's watching the news coverage um, from that perspective of I used to live there. This is He still thinks of it as his neighborhood. But then it's interesting to see the relationship between him and his stepdad because his stepdad uh, is very, you know, I think he's he just seems naive to me. Mm-hmm. Like, I work hard, and I got myself out of that neighborhood. And he talks about wearing his three-piece suits to work every day mm-hmm. because that's just what you do as a black man. You have to try harder and be better. Um, and it just struck me as maybe a little bit naive to what some of the pressures the younger generation is facing. Right. And not understanding how Will still wants to belong to the neighborhood mm-hmm. and, and still has a powerful draw there. Mm-hmm. I'm still a little um, confused as to how Will fits in with all of the other characters. I get that he used to be from that neighborhood, but I don't know that we've really seen him interacting in a meaningful way with any of the other characters whose narration we have received. He was at the memorial yeah. for a little bit. I don't think he's um, friends with any of them. It doesn't seem that way. It seems like maybe he moved out of the neighborhood before mm-hmm. kind of their, their bonds were formed. Right. I'm not sure if he's maybe a little bit older. Maybe he's more closer to Kimberly's age. Could be. Could um, be. So. And Kimberly, we should mention, is the uh, a hairdresser. Mm-hmm. Uh, she works at a salon in the neighborhood. Uh, another character, just like Jenica, who mm-hmm. I think really hooks you from the beginning. Oh, absolutely. Um, she used to babysit for Tariq and his little sister, um, Tina, um, and clearly she still has, you know, a lot of goodwill and sweet feelings towards Tina, but Tariq was really cruel to her. Mm-hmm. So she's very conflicted. Early on, she gets called in to um, help out doing some makeup for a character um, named Reverend Sloan, who comes into town to, uh, he's, I'm 
trying to think of who he reminds me of. Al Sharpton. He is very, <laughs> he is, one of the reviews I read said that yeah. he was an Al Sharpton-like character. Yeah. He is a, uh, um, a political leader and someone who is, we gather, is of national prominence. Um, and he comes early on. He gets a phone call early one morning from his assistant who says something like, this could be the one or something like mm-hmm. that. And he's a little hard to take. What were your first thoughts on him? Um, I mean, he's he's written to be a complex character. Yeah. Um, and so I think that it's pretty easy to understand that he is attempting to use this tragic event, this death of this young black boy, and use it for the greater good. Um, he seems to ha- kind of have his motivations in the right place where he can use this as a jumping off point to have a larger discussion with the American public about race. Um, but as a man, just as a person, not great. He's, he's not a great guy. Exactly <laughs> yeah. he, he kind of acknowledges that right. in his little, little like inner monologue. Yeah. He says, it sounds terrible that mm-hmm. I am like jumping all over this and hopping on a plane. A child has lost his life. A mm-hmm. family has lost their son. This could easily be my child. But at the same time, this is what I need to get my point across. Right. And it does feel very political mm-hmm. to him in, in a, a sort of skeezy politician. He knows way. it's horrible. Yeah. Um, he he acknowledges he, it. He does acknowledge it. Yeah. And I give him that. He's he's pretty adamant, like, this is terrible. And, you know, you might think I'm a bad person, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a little way excited about this. Right. Um, Going back to Kimberly a little bit, who mm-hmm. has a really um, interesting scene with Reverend Sloan. Kimberly, honestly, is... I, I loved her sections, mm-hmm. I especially um, her kind of monologue that she has in one of the last chapters about being a big, thick, round girl mm-hmm. and, like, kind of owning that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought that her interaction with Reverend Sloan was so interesting because um, you get it from his perspective and then you also get it from Kimberly's perspective. And so from Reverend Sloan, he's just kind of like looking at this young girl and no it, not it's now a and it's, it's a little really, like he's hitting yeah. on her and thinking like maybe I could have almost like have an affair with her mm-hmm. but he makes her, Kimberly feel really good about herself exactly for Kimberly and when you get her perspective of the same scene it's kind of like a moment of power yeah absolutely like she's just taking back her own body and using it like she's like Reverend Sloan's looking at me like I'm an actual woman exactly and, yeah and and that's something that really I think Tariq and his friends took from her she mm-hmm. talks about as kids he would harass her and mock her and they started calling her hippo hips and they would jump on her back and mm-hmm. and brick um, especially was yes. really cruel she yeah. specifies yeah absolutely so it, it is a little bit strange you know Tariq has taken something from her his group of friends have taken something from her that now Reverend Sloan is giving back to her mm-hmm. that's an excellent point yes what about uh, Tariq's family um well Tina broke my heart Tina um, is Tariq's little sister right and she it's never mentioned what exactly um sort of diagnosis she has, mm-hmm. they sort of just call her special. Yeah. I sort slow. of gathered that she was maybe perhaps somewhere on the autism spectrum. Right. Kind of lives in her head a lot. Um, and then he also lives with his uh, mother, Vernicia, and his mm-hmm. grandmother, Redima. Right. And we find out later on in the book that dad is largely absent, has been for a little while. So um, his grandmother and his mother, I mean, there are no words mm-hmm. to describe the pain that you see them feeling and when the grandmother talks about the pounding on the door of the police knowing it's something horrible coming Mm -hmm. that was really hard to read yes absolutely and I thought it was just horrible whenever it's Vernicia's point of view and she's getting ready for dinner and she had sent Tariq out for the milk because Tina has to have milk with her dinner and he wasn't coming home and that was so unlike him because he could always be counted on because he was a good kid. He was going out to get groceries for his mom and his little sister and, well, let's just go ahead and eat without him. 
and I mean, you know that she had to know that yeah. something something had happened. I think that you brought up a great point that's really interesting in the book. Of course, we don't hear from Tariq, and we never hear from the shooter, Jack Franklin. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two characters involved that we never hear from. Um, and Tariq is really painted very complex because mm-hmm. you, do, you you get the sense that he was a, a good kid. He was very kind to his sister. He helped out around the house. He was good friends with Tyrell. Mm-hmm. And then we also see this other picture emerging that he may have uh, ended up joining the gang. Um, you know, some people do say that he was armed. He was starting to carry a weapon and wear gang colors. Um, and so it, it's hard to, to wrap your head around, I think, a character that we never hear from. We're getting such a complex picture of and try to form our own opinions of. And I think that's one of the great things that, that Kekla does here is... Mm-hmm giving you all these little snippets and all these little pieces. And, and I think our instinct is to really paint him one way. We want to say, well, he was a good kid in the wrong place at the wrong time, and this terrible person shot him. And that is could still be true, but there could also be all these other factors. Maybe mm-hmm. he had joined the gang. Maybe he was, in fact, wearing gang colors. And I think that's one of the great things that she does is she helps you really see a full picture of this character mm-hmm. and decide for yourself, really, what are your thoughts on Tariq? And at the end, does does a lot of that even matter? Does right. it really matter if he had on a red bandana? Does it really matter um, if he had a gun, although we, we kind of are led to believe later on that, no, he didn't. Um, mm-hmm. So it is it is a really interesting uh, way that she she kind of builds this. Exactly. Um, I think that it's really similar to, um, I'm sure that obviously this was on her mind when she was writing the book, um, was the incident in Ferguson, Mm -hmm. where it was the young man had maybe, maybe not robbed a store. Mm -hmm. But even if he had robbed a store, does that justify, does that justify a man shooting him in the street? Um, And I think that that's really one of the main questions that Kekla is trying to kind of tackle in this book is, it's it's proven that Tariq didn't rob the store. Right. The the store owner says he I was trying to give him his change back. That's why I was right. calling after him. The store owner is running after him as the book starts, and someone coming out of the hardware store mm-hmm. thinks that he has robbed it, and so they have stopped him in front of his group of friends um, to say because they think they're going to hold him up so the store owner can come and confront him. Really, the store owner Rocky is just trying to give him his change right. that he's left, and it's that confrontation at the hardware store. Um, where the guy says some stuff to Tariq, and then Tariq says, mind your own business, and then Jack Franklin gets out of the car, and that's when everything uh, takes place. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, I thought there there are lots of images from the book that call to mind um, Ferguson, like you said, um, and also... um, And it turned out to be a candy bar and a bottle of iced tea. Right. So there are definitely a lot of images that uh, repeat throughout this book that that, um, are based on factual events. I want to talk a little bit about Miss um, Rosalita. Yeah. How, how did you feel about her? And, and Melody, I guess, kind of goes hand in hand with Miss Rosalita as well. Yeah. So Miss Rosalita is a lady who lives at a nursing home uh, in the neighborhood. And Melody is a caretaker there. Um, and they're walking. And she mentions that Tariq gave her her first kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, and at one point. I thought that was such a sweet story. It was a very sweet story. Yes. Tariq just being a really kind of nice, nice boy. Yeah. Um, and they go to the... Um, I guess it's like a wake, mm-hmm. like a public wake for Tariq. And Miss Rhoda Zalita talks about just how much heartbreak she's seen and how much she's been through, how many people she's watched be buried over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and she says something along the lines of, at this point, 
I'm done. Mm-hmm. I just wish my body would give out and I didn't have to see this anymore. And she's another character that um, is heartbreaking. Absolutely. Um, for lack of a better term. It was and such a beautifully written passage. It's, it's absolutely stunning. Right. Yeah. It was. I think that's some of the strongest writing in the book um, so far. And uh, Miss Miss Rosalita and Kimberly both. I think the passages are just so poetic. Um, and Tina and Jenica, honestly, too. Yeah, I think she write. I think Kakula writes women very, very, mm-hmm. very well. I agree. Um, and then the nuance of their characters and really showing the power that they have in the community mm-hmm. and in their um, and their kind of family structure. Um, she does a great job of really conveying that. Mm-hmm. Do we want to talk about Tom Arlen a little bit and how we yeah, think that he fits in? Absolutely. Um, so Tom Arlen is uh, introduced at the beginning as just kind of a guy in the neighborhood. He's a white man. Mm-hmm. And he um, and his buddy Jack Franklin are hanging out. And he does mention they've had a couple beers, which is interesting because I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think they ever mentioned doing any kind of um, blood alcohol test on Jack Franklin. No, that has point. not been brought up. So uh, I thought that was interesting. He does mention they had a couple beers. Jack's car is in the shop, and he lets Tom, Tom lets him borrow his car. Right. And it's from that car that Jack hops out of and shoots Tariq. Um, and he is somebody who, again, from the beginning, is starts, is, is pretty adamant that, because he sort of witnesses everything from a distance, doesn't mm-hmm. he? He does. He's literally, Tom Marlin lends Jack Franklin his car. Jack Franklin drives like one block down mm-hmm. and then immediately jumps out of the car. Because Tom is still watching him drive away. Mm-hmm. As Jack Franklin gets out of the car, he thinks, oh, maybe there's something wrong with my car. And right. he needs help. So he starts walking towards him and then sees the whole scene. And he claims that Tariq was armed. He does. Something. And he doesn't waver like right. Brian. Right. He, he says from the beginning. Thinks it's a gun. Right. Um, he's an interesting character, um, too, the way that he talks about sort of keeping his head down in the neighborhood mm-hmm. and not starting trouble, but they have, he and Jack have just had this conversation about, um, I, I guess, young people and the neighborhood and the gangs and the problems, and they just sort of view them under one lens, that all of the kids that age are troublemakers, nothing but troublemakers. Right. Um, the other thing that I think is really interesting is Tom is actually the first to openly bring up... And I'll actually read that passage real fast. It's on page 79. Uh, Tom Arlen says... Plenty of deaths and other rough crimes around here, but I've never seen Underhill on national news before. Can't think of a time anyway. And I'm not sure what's all that different in this case. Two guys with guns, one dies, it's an everyday story. I have a month's worth of local newspapers gathered up in my recycling bags, and I bet I could find five stories that read about the same. Two guys with guns. Except one thing, and all those and all those other, all those other, those other sto- parties were black. They're out to get Jack Franklin because he's white. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the book. Um which no one else initially does. I don't, I don't recall any of the other characters sort of making it a, a comment about Jack Franklin being a white guy shooting a black kid. There are more comments, honestly, about Brian yes. being a light-skinned guy yes. or a white guy There's from more Tom question that, Yeah, more comments about race come from Brian right. than from um, Jack. Mm-hmm. But Tom is really the first one to sort of bring that up, which I thought was mm-hmm. interesting. I also think we should probably talk about the police response to this. Sure. The cops aren't really mentioned... Very much at all. Initially, we know that Jack Franklin is released. He's, they find him a couple blocks away. They, they find the gun in the car. He's released uh, early the next morning, and they, they claim self-defense. Um, and then after that, there's sort of a uproar, and they start an investigation. Um, and the first thing that I think is really interesting is the witness statements that they had to have gotten. Mm-hmm. Because if you think about it, 
Tom and Brian are there, and they, they probably give witness statements. And then there's Noodle and Jenica, because everyone else runs away. And Noodle admits that he and Jenica were high at the time, mm-hmm. and he thinks the cops probably knew that. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the police probably, when faced with witness statements, they've got two people who are coherent. Mm-hmm. One was standing right there when it happens, and they say Tariq was armed. And then two who were there, but maybe were cognitively impaired a little bit, at least in the cop's eyes. I think it's also an issue that they, uh, Noodle and Jenica, asked to remain together when they get their statements. That's also a big issue. Yeah, they want to separate them because they want to get each separate story Mm -hmm. and Noodle won't let them be taken apart. Right. So, because he sees Jenica still really upset, obviously. So that, I think, is... Um, probably in their mind an issue as well. Right. Um, which which is why I think they initially let Jack Franklin go. But then when they do open the investigation, they Rocky gets really confused and really upset. Rocky, of course, is the store owner. And he says that the cops kind of hustle him a little bit and say, well, wasn't he trying to steal from you? Well, wasn't he shoplifting? And, and Rocky's like, no, I, I know this kid. I've known him a long time. Yeah. He was just buying some groceries for his mom. And that leads Rocky to kind of start questioning mm-hmm. if everything he reads in the paper is true, if um, kind of who to believe at this mm-hmm. point. Poor Rocky. I know. You really feel for the guy. He you just do. want doesn't want any trouble. He doesn't want any trouble. He <laughs> wants to sell his milk in a Snickers bar yeah. and go about his day. He does. Okay. So I think that's all uh, the time we've got for this week. We'll be back next week with another installment of the podcast. And next week we're going to be going uh, in-depth talking about pages 81 through 160 if you're reading along at home with us. Uh, We do want to give you a little bit more information about One Book, One Lexington. It is our community-wide reading project. You can pick up a copy of how it went down at any of your local library locations. We also have it in ebook if you prefer to read that way. Our big event... With this year's One Book, One Lexington, will be taking place on April 23rd at the Northside Branch of the Lexington Public Library, and we are going to have a teen summit um, on the issues discussed in the book, specifically talking about racism and violence. If you have a teenager in your life who would like to participate, uh, check out our website for more details on how to sign up and how to attend that day. We'd love to have you. Our big, exciting news about the Teen Summit is that Kekla Magoon will be joining us. She will be here for the event uh, and will be uh, giving the keynote address. So please make plans to attend on Saturday, April 23rd from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Northside Branch Library. Thanks, Alexa. We'll see you next week. Thanks, Jenny.